Blog Talk Radio.
Next day, we might get for wine back on Vajona. Thank God for all the chilling with the Yona Rockville and things like that. That do well. That do well. The flood and thing ain't because God knew if it needs some water, though, it's kind of dry out, Yona. Maybe the cricket thing might be back by the time I get back, Yona, and see the road runner and thing across the road. I'm mean, so glad it. I had a sharp opportunity. But pay homage to all the ancestors and were with the Kosabo, the Yemisi, the Adisto, the Cree, then chilling with the Vindir, Right Chona, and Wakmore, and places like that. Well, Hunter Yeti, we the crack we team vote this year, deal with Hunter the Kind to the Gullah Kitchen Nation, on Jacksonville, North Carolina, like Jacksonville, Florida. Hunter Guy Yeti, plenty of his name and things like that. Some might now stand tall, tall, how to pronounce them. Other rest of people might not study them tall, tall, to find out where they're from. So let me crack we team to leave it this evening. About this year. So, so all my global listeners and everybody who doesn't speak Gullah, doesn't speak Gichi, can truly get an understanding of who we are as Gullah Geechee people that are around the world that are part of the Gullah Geechee diaspora. The Gullah Geechee diaspora, diaspora, yes, but there is also another diaspora we don't speak about, and that is the one of indigenous American peoples. And why do we not speak of it? Because we have an image in our minds of people simply signing treaties and making a decision as a whole band or clan of people to decide to move from one area geographically to another area. We also have in our minds images that are more dominant than that previous image. The dominant image is probably of cowboys and Indians, people running around shooting guns off, and that Europeans, Anglo-Saxon males come out on top against the so-called red man, and that they were the ones that then conquered what is now called North America. Interestingly enough, we have all these terms that people use now you know, Mexico is one part of North America, United States is another, and Canada is another. And then you say the Americas, when we start to incorporate the islands that are called the Caribbean or Caribbean Isles. Well, there's a guy whose name will not be spoken on this show, uh, by me anyway, that was lost, who we were told sailed the ocean blue in the year 1492. I'm pretty sure if anyone attended school at any point in time in the American school system, you learn that little rhyme so that this part of propaganda would forever be ingrained in your memory. And if you're like me, if you have a vivid imagination, you most likely pictured the ships this man sailed on, didn't know that an African man was one of his leading captains of one of those ships too, by the way. But here it is that you probably picture him standing up there you know, at the bow and steering along and coming to this land where these there wasn't anything. <laughs> As a child, somebody tells you they discovered something. You come upon it. And once you come upon it, there's no owner to claim it. There ain't nobody there. So you pick it up, you go. So you don't pick up land and go anywhere with it. You come to land and then you stake out a place. Well, whose land is that you arrived at? So you didn't even arrive. This guy didn't even arrive on the soil of North America. This guy is said now in places when you get an honest tour guide, <laughs> you find out 
that he has a very long and indoctrinated story amongst the colonies that are now called the Caribbean and Caribbean Isles. People will stand there for hours. We had one tour guide really inundate us for over an hour with this somewhat prideful story of this man being lost. He didn't say lost. I'm telling you lost. And arriving on that island and all the stuff that came about because this guy arrived on the island. Now, people don't talk about the genocide that arrived in the places where he arrived, where Tahinos and various other indigenous peoples that were on all of these lands that were islands and then what we call mainland, North America now, but the Americas, wherever this guy ended up or coming close to it, he mapped out things and now mapped them out so that others like him explored and also came. And once they come in, it's like a cancer that spreads, and a whole bunch of the people who were there first, whose land it was, died off because now they were encountering different diseases that had come from Europe that they had never had in their area, which is why it's such a big deal now. Still, to this day, when you do international travel, they don't want you carrying bug cultures. They don't want you carrying flowers and fruits and things like this around with you from country to country because those things have been inspected. You may be taking some type of virus or bacteria or agent or bug with you, into this other land that could make people sick that they weren't inoculated from, okay? So now we have a situation where even here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, you had Sullivan's Island where all people, whether they were coming in by force or by choice, would be brought in, stopped at Sullivan's Island, checked out at pestilence houses, pest houses, to see if you had any types of infections, viruses, sicknesses, things that they thought could transfer to other people. If you're a European, you might get held there three days a week. If you're an African, you could be held there for months if you were not the type to bow down either. You get seasoned there. So Sullivan's Island has its own story in that regard, but there is not a place that I know of in world history, that if this was not an arrival location of immigrants, forced or not, that they weren't checked out from these things. Well, who was going to check this guy out? He's floating around. He's going where he wants to go. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to go conquer new lands. I want to see new places. There's something out here on this flat world. Remember, these people thought the place was flat. Okay, so now you get out here, you encounter these lands, they're beautiful. But nobody who live in there spoke your language. They didn't tell you, sure, come on, set up shop, stay. They didn't do that. So this conqueror's mentality that's normally celebrated in the U.S. on today has been challenged now. People are finally coming out in mass saying we should not be celebrating a day and honor somebody that historically actually caused a number of people to die after that and then opened up a channel to the transatlantic slave trade system ultimately. So we're now talking about being a precursor to many of the 
aspects of world enslavement, domination, manifest destiny, any of these terms you want to use that ended up destroying a lot of indigenous peoples. Indigenous, whether they be later on and generations later, Africans who are indigenous to their countries on their continent being disrupted, kidnapped, captured, captured, kidnapped, transported along the same route, then left on these same islands where colonized black people will now give you a tour and tell you about the arrival of these people as if there was something to be honored. And so here it is that in the Gullah Geechee Nation, we have places of honor like at Sullivan's Island, where it's somewhat of a double-edged sword. You have Fort Moultrie that Gullah Geechee people built, literally, and here it is in front of it. You have the burial area of one of the greatest Seminole strategists that ever lived, Osceola. And now you have the body there, without the head. Why don't you have the head? Because it was the greatest strategist that these Europeans had ever encountered when they had to fight these indigenous people who made it clear, we didn't invite you, we don't want you, this is our land, and that we're not going to sign anything and agree to move. But now, if you've heard of Osceola at all, and you've heard of our ancestors and the fact that over 40% of all Africans enslaved in North America came through Sullivan's Island. You'd think there's no link between the two, but there are links. Many people only write of Gullah Geechee's coming from one country in West Africa. Totally incorrect. Totally incorrect. Another propaganda campaign to promote a European man's agenda for his own personal career and his own personal gain and because he could now link to such devices as public television. This story spread like wildfire to make people believe that all Gullah Geechis came from one country in Africa and to make people think all Gullah Geechis are just African. Not true. A large percentage of us who are native Gullah Geechis have African ancestry and Native American or indigenous Americans, I prefer to say it, ancestry. You don't have the town Yemassee. You don't have the island Edisto. You don't have the Waccamaw River. You don't have Dato Island, Palawana Island, without the indigenous people whose names were on these places and spaces. Dato is named for a chief. Palawana Island was actually the first reservation that the Europeans had signed into law in order to try to put these warring natives onto one island, get them on their side of how they wanted things done. And if they would not do it, they'd starve them to death. I wrote about this in my book, God Done Smile Upon We, The Beaufort Isles. You can obtain that book at gullahgeechee.biz. You can also obtain it at my Queen Quet site on Amazon. But if you go to www.gullahgeechee, ain't no I in Geechee if it'll we, all right, gullahgeechee.biz, you can obtain that information. 
If you go and watch Gullah Geechee TV, GullahGeechee.tv, go to YouTube, you'll find several places where, over the years, I sat down with numerous people that are called Black Seminole, Afro Seminole, Seminole Negro Indian Scouts, and so forth over the years. If you go to GullahGeecheeNation.com, you'll find that I've blogged about story and our connections, and you've seen me out in Brackettville with our people. You've seen me down in Florida with our people. You've seen me in the Bahamas with our people. These are the links reconnecting the Gullah Geechee diaspora. We're called Gullah, we're called Geechee, we're called Seminole, Black Seminole, Afro Seminole, Muscogo when we go down to Mexico. Many of you have seen images and information when I was in Mexico as well and presented there in many communities. Well, this is why it is so important to me because on both sides of my family, I have indigenous American ancestry and African ancestry, all from the Sea Islands, where Gullah Geechee culture is indigenous to the Sea Islands. And many of you who have been in lectures that I've done, especially any that I've done on human rights, know that I often point this out to people. The word indigenous in American English is defined as originating or occurring naturally in a particular place, native. So Gullah Geechee's occurred naturally on the Sea Islands from Jacksonville, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida, 30 to 35 miles inland to the St. John's River. We are natives of the what is now called the Gullah Geechee Nation, which consists of the Sea Islands, the Carolina, Georgia, Low Country, and northeastern Florida. We originate and occur naturally here. Well, Hunter been a crack teeth, did teeth and thing like that, or Hunter yet to be with a crack teeth, so this shall be yeah. You know the same thing with Hunter going in West Africa. So if you go to Al Kibulan, there are languages that will connect to ours, and we may understand some of it, and they may understand some of what we're saying, but they are not going to be identical, but they are cousins, they're kindred, they're sibling languages. Because we amalgamated so many African languages to create the Gullah Geechee language. And this being Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Awareness Month, I thought it not robbery to take Indigenous Peoples Day to make you yet aware of an aspect of Gullah Geechee culture that many people don't want to discuss. And that is our uprisings, our battles for freedom, our continued our continued efforts and focus on human rights that happened all the way back to people fighting on this soil against being forced to migrate from this coast to other places. Some eventually went, some through treaties and agreements like Seminole Indian Scouts to fight on the side of the colonists, and there were others who, just at a point, it got to be a bit much, and they ended up going westward, ended up in Mexico, ended up in Oklahoma, ended up in Texas. Some went eastward, Andros, Bahamas. You see, I even have documents showing others of my family born in Cuba. 
So we have an ongoing battle about who is indigenous, how is it defined, and whether or not we want to embrace it. Because for some people, it only serves them to embrace saying they are one thing or the other thing. And there are those who would argue with you that even if you embrace being an indigenous American, you are still embracing being a person of African descent since Africans were navigating the continents, the earth, before Pangea. So here it is. Now let's move forward from that time frame into this time frame just before we got into really using the term Seminole. Let's get into that. And I thought that the most ideal thing to do would be to pull something from the Gullah Geechee Al-Kabulan archive once again tonight and pull the legacy of Igbo land and Gullah roots of African-American culture and actually read from the work that Dr. Yusuf N. Clyde, God bless the dead, left for us to get an understanding of who was really a part of a war that got named the Seminole War. All right? So here it is. They made it clear, ongoing basis, through uprisings, military skirmishes, and battles which took place over the period of a century. The Gullah War marked the resistance of enslaved Africans to the institution of slavery in the U.S. colonies. For the length of its duration, this war continued to pose a substantial threat to the successful maintenance and operation of the enslavement system, a threat acknowledged in historical writings, historical data, and evident in the implacability with which on the U.S. colonist and later federal side it was pursued. The fact that the true nature of a war occurring in the United States for over a period of a century has as yet to be fully acknowledged for what it was, suggests a socio-political manipulation of history that renders recovery possible only through a socio-political and historical analysis. The socio-political reasons why the prolonged Gullah resistance to enslavement was largely unreported and unacknowledged during its historical period, was due to the threat that widespread knowledge of a largely successful, insofar as it was never fully quelled, Gullah insurgency might have posed to the stability of a plantation system run on the labor of enslaved Africans and thereby to the entire institution of slavery in the U.S. colonies. And quote. So here it is. Gullah Wars from 1739 to 1858 is how they are acknowledged in this, which was the first anthology ever done by someone who's a native Gullah Geechee with the writings of other native Gullah Geechees herein and not being a book that was written by some academic who was studying us, but written from the inside to out and incorporating in a few pieces from people who were also harboring material that belonged to us in one case and also then having a discussion with our family from Cross the Water so that we could relink the foodways aspects of what was retained 
amongst Gully Geechee's as well. Well, food is one way to nourish, but so is what goes into your ear gate, what goes in through your eyes. What is it you hear and you see that leaves those indelible marks there, as I mentioned earlier, so that you get certain types of images in your head. As soon as someone says Native American, Indigenous American, you may have those images from television as opposed to images like what you see if you go to blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah and look at the images floating by for tonight's broadcast where people look like me, not like people who we used to see on these shows. Now, over the years, we've had many of the Gullah Geechee diasporic family members who live in Mexico marry with indigenous people there. And so you now have a plethora of people that are Seminole, black Seminole, Moscow, that you would look at and you wouldn't know. You would just say, oh, I'm not sure what part of Latin America they're from. And they speak Gullah with Spanish in it. And where we speak Gullah with some English loan words in Geechee and every now and then throw one into Gullah. Same same syntax, same phonetic structure, and same legacy and story that many of the elders did not speak the language in front of the children. So over the years, the children didn't know the language. So now as we continue to have celebrations each and every September in honor of the family that is held on to the Seminole culture, this is something that now is trying to be revitalized amongst them, speaking Gullah. Some of them can speak Geechee pretty good, but a lot of them have lost Gullah. Singing the spirituals is another aspect of things. But when we touch on what I mentioned a little while ago, food ways and fight, oh, there are so many other links that bring you right on back home, no matter how the folks look. And you say, well, how you know to make this or why are you doing that? And they'll tell you. Because my great-grandmama came here from the Carolinas. My great-great-granddaddy came here from Georgia. So it is critical that we begin to understand the indigenous nature of our cultural heritage as Gullah Geechee's and how no matter where we are in the world, there seems to be an ongoing need to continue this Gullah War to fight back against those who would attempt to reinterpret our story and our legacy and make it look as if we were happy singing Negroes in somebody's cotton or rice field instead of talking about the resistance that has gone on and continues to go on in the form of human rights. The unconquerable is truly what this seminal word meant. Many will say it is wild or exiled from the term Simarun. So Simara is where you get Marun. So when you go into various other islands that were part of those colonies and you have the people such as the Maroons who are fighting for their indigenous rights, like the Gullah Geeches on the Sea Islands fight for their indigenous rights, that's where Maroon comes out of. When you look at Seminole, that comes from the Sima part. Seminole, Simarun. Okay? So you have Simarun, you get Seminole, and you get Maroon. 
and all are one and the same people. That is why we had the Gullah Geechee Seminole Maroon reunion that took place that traveled and traversed and reversed a lot of the steps, traveled some of the pathways from Carolina through Georgia to Florida, and then we went across to the Bahamas, relinking this part of the Gullah Geechee diaspora. And so that we, as one people, can stand together for our indigenous rights. And so here it is that as we go into other people's ways of celebrating, doesn't mean that has to be our way. So we don't have to take a day, and especially if you had a day off here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, banks were open, schools were open, and so forth, because we don't participate in this celebration that many others were participating in in other lands. We don't participate in that. And so here it is that the reason that others may not even realize that unto this day we celebrate our tradition, our legacy, and the totality of who we are. problem is that most of the indigenous people, the Kasaba, the MNC, the Adisto that were here did not write down anything in English, and they didn't write it because Gullah is an oral language, for people to pass down. And many of our family members remember the people who were distinctly 100% Native American or indigenous American because they're just our grandmothers or great-grandmothers. But they can't tell you the specific ethnic group of the people because children weren't allowed to question these elders. And these elders have passed on without anybody knowing exactly which group they were from. But they intermarried in our families. We intermarried into their families. And so... Just as with the Afro-Seminoles, the Black Seminoles, you find a whole range of colors. You find a whole range of tones to the skin because all the family is together now. And so for generations. Now, some people will say, well, outside the day, I have never heard such a thing. I have never heard of Color Geechis having any indigenous ancestry. I just thought they were black folk. I just thought they were from Africa and that's all. And some people are going to say, I ain't never heard no Seminole before. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Well, I want to go back to this piece on the Gullah War and let you know this. Quote, the reasons for this are relatively easy to understand. The original suppression of information was first and foremost an effort to keep Gullah insurgency from becoming better known and more popular among other enslaved Africans and their potential allies among Indians and the indentured servants, end quote. Okay? So I'm not going to let you know that the Africans now have joined forces with any of the indigenous people that are over here. I can't let this get out in widespread information because if I do that, then more of these people that I'm enslaving and telling them that I have a right to enslave them, will actually become allies and join together. I can't allow that. So I have to have this information hidden as much as I possibly can, and I need to proceed with being able 
to find ways to reinforce this system of enslavement for both the indigenous Americans and the Africans. Now, with the indigenous Americans, there was an attempt to enslave them right where they were, whether it was on the Sea Islands or these various islands that are the Caribbean or Caribbean. There were many they tried to enslave there. But when it's my land, I know how to fight back against you. I know how to maneuver into the hills or away from these areas that are plantations. I know how to cross from this island to a hummock and then hide out from there because this is my land. You are invading my land, but now you want to conquer my land and force me to work for you. I can then starve my own self out or do anything else so that I do not live in servitude to you. And that happened with numerous indigenous ethnic groups that people did that. And then, like I said, the different diseases they encountered too killed off a lot of people, weakened a lot of people. But now when the Africans were brought here, the Africans with the bullwhip on their backs worked, worked hard, didn't know this land that way. This wasn't their land either. So now these folks could further keep this system running. And then that is a whole other story that you know we've covered over and over and will continue to cover in the future. So now, as the fighting continued on and on, I've touched on the fact that Osceola was one of the major strategists. But I also want to just mention a few other critical parts to this Seminole War and why it's documented from the, during the time frame that it was. There were numerous battles beginning with the Stoner Rebellion in 1739, the battles with the state militias that went on from 1736 to 1812, including the War of 1812 that adds to the Gullah Geechee diaspora even further with many of our people ending up in Nova Scotia, then Bermuda, and then Americans that end up down in Trinidad area. And so we have these companies that ended up fighting for and with them. So now we have a number of people that are part of the numerous battles that go on at Negro Ford and various other places along the Florida panhandle where battles continued until people started heading out west. And so part of the people who they might call today party insurgents, okay, the people who were uprising, the people that fought back, were some critical people that got documented at that time, Osceola being one of them as to why they decapitated him once he was dead at the age of 34 and so they took his head off because they wanted to study his brain. The brain was sent up north to the New England area, from what I recall, so that they could then study his brain to figure out how could he have strategized so well against them. How could this Indian start to beat our militias this way so badly and the people that he had with him? How could this be done? Okay? Now, here it is that there were plenty of Gullah Geechis who were actually the ones who were around him and that were fighting and that led many of these battles that he as the overall leader 
got credit for. And included amongst them are John Horse, Ibrahim, or Abraham, and also we have a number of the people who are the Bowlegs family. So even when you go out to Texas right now, you have families with that last name because they are direct descendants of this particular leader. So they were there literally on the front lines of the battle. And so you had John Horse, who there's a brother that I'm going to be working with, and you're all going to see a major exhibition coming out in 2018 that's going to really display this aspect of our story, the Stone Rebellion and the Gullah Wars, and so that people will be able to visualize it for those who don't have as vivid an imagination as I told you that I have. But here it is that people need to understand the intellectual capacity of these individuals. This is not about the films that you just see with people riding horseback and shooting and carrying on back and forth with various, as they say, primitive tools on one side and guns on the other side. It wasn't that simplistic, okay? People did strategize and people did have discussions with these individuals, okay? Now, Something that I think that people need to hear, and I want to pull out the most poignant part here, because I notice that people don't mind and they love the fact that our seals grave is there at that fort, because something that to the Europeans in America, that or the Anglo's of America, that they would cheer on to say that, oh, we captured him, we got him, oh, da, da, that didn't stop the water. But let's talk about this from this perspective of how Dr. Clyde put this forth as a question to us. Quote, is it too much to suppose that much of Osceola's fame derives from the fact that the colonists had succeeded in capturing him and hence represented him as the major leader of the Seminoles, even though the Seminole Wars continued long after his death? Or perhaps that those against whom he struggled were more willing to recognize him as their adversary, particularly given the degree of his European ancestry, than the Gullah leaders, whom personal racism and the threat to the institution of slavery rendered permanently unacknowledgeable as leaders? Indeed, while Ibrahim went to meet with the U.S. President John Quincy Adams at the negotiating tables in Washington, and John Horse later went to meet with President Polk, the significance of their presence has been routinely disguised by referring to them as interpreters for the Indians rather than as leaders in their own right. However, it is more likely that they were designated as interpreters by the U.S. for whom it might have been not only psychologically untenable to negotiate with those they had formerly enslaved, but also politically untenable for what such a recognition of Gullah leadership would signify in relation to the institution of slavery in the colonies and its political impact on the masses of Gullah still enslaved yet yearning to be free. The likelihood was that Ibrahim and John Horse were leaders whose attendance was necessary, even if it couldn't be officially accredited, end quote. Now, let's deal with that. Many of you who follow us at Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook 
or you follow the Queen Quet is the Chiefess and Head of State for the Gullah Geechee Nation page on Facebook. You've been following us on Twitter at Gullah Geechee for years. You are familiar with the videos that I've shot and put up via Gullah Geechee TV where I was at presidential conferences more than once. But you didn't see anybody rushing to document this or promote this or put this out there because when you're a leader and you're going into strategic meetings, those meetings aren't always things that you televise. These are not things that get documented for the masses to know about, to realize the strategic planning that goes into the protection and sustainability of cultural heritage of people. And if it does not behoove those who would prefer to oppress you or completely annihilate you short of just having you as a museum exhibit or entertainment piece and a conversation piece, they are not going to fully acknowledge your existence as a leader and acknowledge why you're alive the leadership abilities that you have because, as he's written here, it's untenable. It's unimaginable, might we use that word for some folks who are saying, well, what is that word? I don't hear that word every day. But you've heard the word unimaginable. You cannot fathom it. You cannot believe that, wow, how could the people that we enslaved actually have the intellectual capacity, remember they thought we were three-fifths human beings, to come together to fight a war against us and win? How can they be holding us off? For decades, how is it possible this can't be true? So we'll find the one in the group who is not fully Gullah. We'll find this one that at least has some European ancestry, or at least that's the propaganda we're going to put out, that one of his parents is a European, and that got to be how come he can strategize against us. But these other ones, the ones that look black, we're going to say that they are only here when they go to the president's meetings to be interpreters for the Indians. They're not leaders that the people sent to sit down to negotiations. So when we start to talk about why Indigenous Peoples Day is not now already in place everywhere, in the United States. Why aren't people getting a day off completely for Indigenous Peoples Day, not for the other name that is being called? Why is it that only certain states are changing that? Why is it that the states of the Gullah Geechee Nation challenge that and other places do not? Why is it that People do not want to let that go, that that story from 1492 is not true, because otherwise you would be living in a land named after that dude and not after Amerigo Vespucci. So here it is that if you use logic and you place it up against the majority of things that you've been taught in his story, then you won't believe anything. Because once you use logic and deductive reasoning, there's very little left that you might think could be true. Because these people, because of racism, because of oppression, because it's untenable for them to believe that people that could have allowed themselves to have been enslaved could then turn around and also be negotiating and sending out leaders of their own, is just unfathomable for some. 
The unfortunate reality is that people have been colonized and enslaved so long that you have more people that are descendants of people of African descent that are descendants of people who were those that fought back that are now so assimilated, indoctrinated by the propaganda, they can't accept that their own leaders could come from amongst them. They look for somebody outside of their group and say, let's get that person to go speak for us. But the petition used to elect me was called, who speak for we? Okay, had put the body to Gullah Geechee. And Gullah Geechees weren't going to accept someone who wasn't of their own to speak for them because all these other elected officials weren't Gullah Geechee and nobody Gullah Geechee put them in those positions, but the same ones who now want to put Osceola on a pedestal even though his head is missing are the ones who put those people in those positions. So as much as things change, they remain the same. When we're talking about fighting for the rights of a people, let's not think that this fight started today. So that's why I wanted to give you this little bit, just a little tidbit of background, because you can order the legacy of Ebo Landon, and then you can read that entire chapter and so much more. You can also go to Gullah Geechee TV. You can look through videos on Gullah Geechee people and look at the Gullah War video and get yourself a very brief, very, very brief um, information there, okay, about our people and about this fight. But now, I want you to know, for those who haven't listened to this show in the past, that there have been generations of people fighting for the rights of indigenous people. It was a celebration to beat the band in 2007. Yeah, I'm fast-forwarding you from where we were in the book to more modern times. 2007, I was there when the General Assembly went forward with the recommendation of the Human Rights Council that they voted on 2006 to adopt the text of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Now, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People have a number of pages to it. It's no short document. It has a series of articles that make up the entire document. To be exact, that's the mathematician in me, there are 46 articles in it. So we're not going to go through all the articles tonight. But I thought it not robbery, that you at least hear this opening to this document that leads you into the various articles so that you recognize and understand that indigenous people, including Gullah Geechis, including Seminoles, we have rights that are accepted on the international platform, but they didn't just get there. They were fought for long and hard, over centuries. You heard back what, what year Dr. Clyde stopped with in this story. But the fight continued on, and the fight continues on because black Seminoles got voted out by the Seminole Nation, which was one of the five civilized tribes, did a very uncivilized thing, voted them out 
once they found out the U.S. would give money to the Seminole. They now said, well, y'all aren't actual Seminole. Y'all were our enslaved people. Let's rewrite history. Let's go to the propaganda now, if it's going to benefit us financially. So it caused a rift. Never having land deeds and any real declared land of their own has been an issue for many black Seminole, Afro-Seminole, and the Muscogo who have identity issues as to whether Mexico says they actually belong to the U.S. and the U.S. says they've been over there so long they belong to you. But yet we're indigenous people here in North America, the Americas. How does this happen? Because it's political. So people had to take their information to a higher level. People started to look at this and say, well, what rights do people who are indigenous have to water, to land, to freedom of movement, to their ability to speak their own languages wherever they so choose, to be educated in those languages? So in these closing moments of the broadcast, let's read what came of all that work that so many people fought for that finally, on the 13th of September 2007, the United Nations adopted the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And so here it is. Guided by the purpose and principles of the Charter of the United Nations and good faith in the fulfillment of the obligations assumed by states in accordance with the Charter, affirming that indigenous peoples are equal to all other peoples while recognizing the right of all peoples to be different, to consider themselves different, and to be respected as such, affirming also that all peoples contribute to the diversity and richness of civilizations and cultures which constitute the common heritage of humankind, affirming further that all doctrines, policies, and practices based on or advocating superiority of peoples or individuals on the basis of national origin or racial, religious, ethnic, or cultural differences are racist, scientifically false, legally invalid, morally condemnable, and socially unjust, reaffirming that indigenous peoples in the exercise of their rights should be free from discrimination of any kind, Concerned that indigenous peoples have suffered from historic injustices as a result of intaalia, their colonization and dispossession of their lands, territories, and resources, thus preventing them from exercising in particular their right to development in accordance with their own needs and interests. Recognizing the urgent need to respect and promote the inherent rights of indigenous peoples, which derive from their political, economic, and social structures, and from their cultures, spiritual traditions, histories, and philosophies, especially their rights to their lands, territories, and resources. Recognizing also the urgent need to respect and promote the rights of indigenous peoples affirmed in treaties, agreements, and other constructive arrangements with states, welcoming the fact that indigenous peoples are organizing themselves for political, economic, social, and cultural enhancement and in order to bring to an end all forms of discrimination and oppression wherever they occur, convinced that control by indigenous peoples over developments affecting them and their lands, territories, and resources will enable them to maintain and strengthen their institutions, cultures, and traditions and to promote their development in accordance with their aspirations and needs, recognizing that respect for indigenous knowledge, cultures, and traditional practices contributes to sustainable 
and equitable development and proper management of the environment, emphasizing the contribution of the demilitarization of lands and territories of indigenous peoples to peace, economic, and social progress and development, understanding and friendly relations among nations and peoples of the world, recognizing in particular the right of indigenous families and communities to retain shared responsibility for the upbringing, training, education, and well-being of their children, consistent with the rights of the child, considering that the rights affirmed in treaties, agreements, and other constructive arrangements between states and indigenous peoples are, in some situations, matters of international concern, interest, responsibility, and character, considering also that treaties, agreements, and other constructive arrangements and the relationship they represent are the basis for a strengthened partnership between indigenous people and the states, acknowledging that the Charter of the United Nations, the International Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, and the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights, as well as the Vienna Declaration and Program of Action, affirm the fundamental importance of the right to self-determination of all peoples, by virtue of which they freely determine their political status and freely pursue their economic, social, and cultural development, bearing in mind that Nothing in this declaration may be used to deny any people their right to self-determination exercised in conformity with international law, convinced that the recognition of the rights of indigenous people in this declaration will enhance harmonious and cooperative relations between the state and indigenous peoples based on principles of justice, democracy, respect for human rights, non-discrimination, and good faith, encouraging states to comply with and effectively implement all their obligations as they apply to indigenous people under international instruments in those related to human rights and consultation and cooperation with the peoples concerned, emphasizing that the United Nations has an important and continuing role to play in promoting and protecting the rights of indigenous people, believing that this declaration is a further important step toward forward for the recognition, promotion, and protection of the rights and freedoms of indigenous peoples and in the development of relevant activities of the United Nations system in this field, recognizing and reaffirming that indigenous individuals are entitled without discrimination to all human rights recognized in international law and that indigenous people possess collective rights which are indispensable for their existence, well-being, and integral developments as peoples, recognizing that the situation of indigenous peoples varies from region to region and from country to country and that the significance of national and regional particularities and various historical and cultural backgrounds should be taken into consideration. Solemnly proclaim the following United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples as a standard of achievement to be pursued in a spirit of partnership and mutual respect. I leave you homework out of respect to Indigenous Peoples Day, out of respect to me and others who are educators, teachers. The world is our classroom. I leave you to do your homework. Read the articles of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. 
The Gullah Geechee Al Kebulan archive has this, but so does Google. You can download it there. Our fight, our stand, and self determination also deals with the fact that Gullah Geechee culture originates and occurs naturally on the Sea Islands and in the region now established as the Gullah Geechee Nation. They got established on July 2nd, 2000, has held in that standard, held that practice, and that we will not stand down, but we will yet stand our ground as indigenous people. So we wanted to take this day to honor the legacy of the fighters that came before us who are the human rights fighters of today. We want to honor the legacy of those leaders often written of as Seminole or just Indians that were fighting against militias. And I encourage you to know the past so that you will know more about the future. Because if honey ain't know where honey to dare from, honey ain't going to know where honey to grind. And so it's critical that we under and overstand ourselves in totality as indigenous people that are native Gullah Geechis, that stand on our human right to self-determination, and that no matter if you call us Gullah, Geechee, Black Seminole, Afro-Seminole, Muscogo, or just Seminole, just the unconquerable people, that we are still standing. We will continue to stand. We will continue to fight, and we will continue to celebrate this legacy of freedom that yet the gwine on and ting like that is. This is Queen Quet, head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad that Hunter Chillin took the time out to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day with me, right here, upon the Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. You can go to queenquet.com, Q-U-E-E-N-Q-U-E-T, at any time, one-on-one yeti more, but just who I be, gwine yona, to queenquet.com, follow me at Gullah Geechee, Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook and also Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio on Facebook and Gullah Nation.com. There'll be more to come, but thank you, thank you, Hunter Chiller. Keep standing, keep fighting. This year the Queen Quet, and we still unconquerable. Yes, wild, exiled, strong, powerful, holding the land, holding the culture. This year will we do your fuck. For we honor, we ancestors' legacy, punish your land. Stand, stand, stand.